It was the great feast of Easter, and King Oswald had his guests all seat themselves, and they were just about to eat. They were actually just raising their hands to bless the food before they ate this great feast, and there was an interruption by a servant that entered the hall. He, uh, the time was in the seventh century, and King Oswald was nephew of the great King Edwin, the ruler of all of Bernicia in Northumbria, what it was known at the time. And during the 600s, this was a time when England, what we know as England, was being Christianized. Uh, there were beginning to be converts as Christianity began to infiltrate the culture there in the British Isles. And King uh, Oswald was one of the first converts brought to faith by the great Bishop Aidan. And he was uh, also a very, very powerful man. King Oswald in his, in, in his kingdom that he extended was the first king Ever before, this is the first time, all four different language groups of England, that, that place we call England, were gathered together under one kingdom. It was the British, the English, the Irish, and the Pictish <laughs> as well. And he was the first one who had extended the kingdom that far to include all those people. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is this was an important person. And his guests were very important. If you can imagine a feast like this, it would be all of those people who are, you know, the uh, chiefs and the, and the dignitaries he had at this guest. So this was an important feast. This was not the group of people that you wanted to interrupt. It would, be, it would not go well for you if you interrupted them. And, and not only that, this is not when you would want to interrupt. If you were going to interrupt these people, you wouldn't want to interrupt them just as they were sitting down to eat. And yet... As they were just about to, to begin this feast, as I said, begin to bless the food, the servant walked in and everything stopped. King Oswald looked back and he had, you know, recently come to Christ. He was his Christ, the Christian, he was growing as a, as a young Christian, as a new Christian. He looked back and he knew this servant was the servant that he had put in charge of the poor of his kingdom. He had a cabinet like all kings, you know, and different, different servants in charge of different things. And this king had the interests of the poor. And he saw this and he stopped the feast. I just want you to think about how unusual that would be when you have someone that important just stop everything. I mean, you could think of him saying, well, okay, you know, I'll deal with you later. Let me get things going. Let me get my guests going uh, on the feast. Maybe I'll give you a few minutes later. Or, or how about come back tomorrow? But no, he stops the feast until the servant comes forward and he hears what the servant has to say, which is that there is a group of poor people, a large group of poor people that had showed up at the place. They were out on the road and they were begging alms of the king. But even then, the king didn't like continue on with the feast. Everything stopped. The festivities ground to a halt while he said, take my food that's, that's a portion for me in this feast, and go and distribute it among the poor. And not only that, take my silver plate, because his, his food was served on a silver plate. He said, take this silver plate, break it. He ordered it to be broken, and the pieces distributed to the poor. 
It's just a very unusual story. If you can imagine, try to, I mean, it's hard to think of like a parallel where somebody that important just stops what's going on in order to hear this petition. But I think of this story because it reminds me of my passage this morning that we're, we're, I'm going to be speaking from, that we're, going to, we're about to read. Because it's a time when something similar happens in heaven, when things grind to a halt. You know, we've been reading through the book of Revelation, right? And, and what it is describing is the experience of John, this author, who is caught up to heaven. And you remember, as soon as he's caught up to heaven he starts seeing the action going on in heaven. And it is nonstop. Right from the beginning, right? As soon as he gets up there, first thing is like, there's all this worship that goes on. It keeps going on. There's this worship of people and the elders falling down before the throne and these living creatures that are offering praises. And, and every so often, there's the angels break out into these doxologies. It's just nonstop uh, praise going on. And also, there are these these decrees being issued from the throne. And when the decrees go forth from the throne, you know, angels scamper around and there's all this scurrying, there's all this activity about them. And at the same time, there are, you know, bad beasts, evil beasts on the earth doing things. And heaven is responding to those things as well. There are these trumpets that are blaring and, and bowls, you know, that are, that are being poured out and seals that are being broken. There are these multicolored angels going out on horses. I mean, it, just, it just keeps on going. And that's the thing about the book is you're reading it, right? It's one thing after another. It's, it's just 24-7, nonstop action, except for one place. There's one place in the whole book where everything stops and nothing happens. And that is what we're going to be reading about this morning in our passage. 24-7, nonstop action except for one place. is one place, nothing happens. Why? Please stand with me as we read from Revelation chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV version, verses 1 through 5. You can follow along in your bulletin if you'd like. It's on page 12. Or you can read, read along your Bible. But again, Revelation chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Let's read. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Make yourself comfortable. Well, we have learned in our reading that revelation is really a revelation of God. It's a revelation of the character of God. It's really about him and his glory as he is bringing his kingdom to earth. 
and the story of how he brings his kingdom to earth. But we find out that there's another important character in this story, in this revelation, in this vision that John has, and that is the saints of God are very important to the story. It is about God, but it's, it's about his saints and how important they are to this story as well. And when I say saints, I'm not talking about a special particular group of people, but all of those who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, the lamb as it were slain in the midst of the throne. Uh, is, it is God's own, those whom he's been, whose he, he has redeemed. And so we read right here, at the, at the middle point in this story, remember we looked at chapters 5 through 11, where this story of how the kingdom is going to come to earth, in the middle of this story, there's this interlude, um, and it's key to the meaning of the book. Everything stops, silence in heaven, for about half an hour, it says. For what? Why does everything stop? For the prayers of his people brought by the angel. And by the way, you know, I just want to make sure everybody knows, we're talking about angels, that I know that it's past Labor Day. Over half of you have come to me now at this point and said, you know, Sam, it's past Labor Day, dot, dot, dot. Implication being, you're not supposed to be wearing white anymore. That's not what you do. Well, I'm wearing, I'm, 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 I keep getting whiter in this outfit so that you are looking at this and saying, how much whiter can his outfit be? And the answer is none, <laughs> none whiter. <laughs> um, because why, I'm trying to make a point here. So I realize, I get it, it's after Labor Day, but I'm the messenger, you know? What we have happening in the book of Revelation is that these angels who come up dressed in white and they're, they're bringing things here, in this case, from the people to God and bringing things from God to the people. So I'm trying to be an angel, is the point. I'm trying to be an angel. I'm the messenger bringing, bringing the message to you. That's, well, anyway, that's the point. So you can stop telling me that. But anyway, here we have the archangels, and this is a tradition that John picks up and affirms. He says, yes, this is right. This is what goes on. These archangels presenting the prayers of the saints to God. And he says, when that happens, there is this silence in heaven. And John is actually not unique in this. Um, if you look at Jewish literature, you look at Jewish in the Talmud, in the apocalyptic literature, in the, in the Midrash, you find many examples of silence in heaven while God hears these prayers. Some of that's later Jewish literature, but there's enough indication there to, to be clear that it actually goes back this understanding, this notion into the first century. And this is one of the places where John is picking up a contemporary understanding, and he's saying this, yes, this is right. You got this right. This, this is expressing a truth, that this is something that actually happens in heaven. As the prayers are presented, there is silence, so that God can hear the prayers of his people. In fact, there's, there's one tradition that says, you know, the angels praise all night, and then during the day, they're silent for this. So John is saying, yeah, this is, this is what's going on. So children, as you're drawing the pictures that you have to draw, you might see some words that you don't understand, like incense. Incense is resin or little crystals that are heated up and they melt. And as they melt, they give off the smoke or aroma. And it's, sweet, it's supposed to be sweet smelling. This is something they were familiar with in their worship. And the censer is the thing you put the, the uh, incense in in order to heat it up. And the altar is just the table where this was prepared and offered. 
Um, and what we want you to do is draw these things, and we're going to give you um, some experience, we hope, to help you draw these things. The prayers are connected to the incense. You see that in verse 3 and verse 4? The prayers are connected to the incense. And the phrasing is a little difficult there. Translators um, often say with, you know, with the prayers. The incense is offered with the prayers. But, you know, if you allow me to go into the Greek a little here, I would say there's, there's probably a closer association that's meant here. It's a simple dative, and there are different things that a dative can mean. You could even translate this, this incense is in the prayers of the saints. Or you could say the incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Are we, are we smelling it here? Are we getting it? Maybe you guys should go around again or something. Is everyone? Or use the other one. Okay. Well, I wanted, to, I wanted you to experience something of what John says analogously. God experiences the pleasure that he experiences when he hears the prayers of the saints. And if, you're, if you didn't get enough of that, we were trying to be sensitive so we don't drive people away. But if you're really curious, it's, it's out there. You can go and, and, uh, and smell it. Um, but what I'm saying is that it's because of the prayers the incense rises. Okay? That, they're, that, that it's, it's the prayers that are really the thing. It's not like, well, you're offering this incense and then you know, the prayers come along. It's, it's this insensual prayer <laughs> that comes forth or, or um, however you want to say it. This uh, prayer-filled incense rises. And, you know, John uh, actually brings up this image earlier in the, in the book when he's quite explicit in, in Revelation chapter 5. And there he says, quote, the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, unquote. So one of these few places where John actually explains his symbolism, he says, this is actually are the prayers of the saints. And so that's what I think is going on here. I think that the prayers... The, the prayers are in the incense. Incense rises before God. And he smells this. And it is pleasing to him. And they're so sweet. You know, what you're smelling now is frankincense. And that's, that's what John's audience would understand uh, when he says incense. It would be frankincense, maybe even a little bit more exotic, because it would be, ma it would be mixed with galbanum gum, and maybe crushed mollusk. So it would, it would be a very particularly uh, pleasing smell, uh, enjoyable, exotic smell, but uh, the prayers of his people are so sweet, they're so dear to God, that it stops all the action of heaven. And that's our message, really, Ironworks Church this morning. When God listens to your prayers... He's not on his cell phone. He's not even, you know, folding the laundry as he's giving you his attention. His attention is undivided when he listens to your prayers. That's what the message is for us. He commands all the worlds of heaven to stop for about half an hour. And you say, why half an hour? Because 
He wants to forbid any distractions while he listens to the prayers of the saints. He's like King Oswald, you know, who stopped everything to hear the minister of the poor. God is doing that when he hears your prayers. Do you understand that? Do you pray like that? Do you pray understanding that God is giving his undivided attention when his prayers come before you? Because I don't think that we do, but we must. It's like he stops to smell this, this incense to give his full attention, to just enjoy. He enjoys your prayers, and he gives them his full attention. That's why praying is so important. That's why praying is so effective. You know, we recall that Jesus in the Gospels continually teaches, repeatedly teaches, how important it is to keep praying. He brings up and says, it's so important to keep doing this. For things that matter, for things that really matter, it's important for you to keep asking God, petitioning. And here we see the heavenly side. Jesus said, it's important to do this. John is saying, you know why it's so important? Because this is what's going on in heaven when it happens. This is why. Like the widow pressing her case before the judge, like the, like the friend showing up at midnight, like saying, he who asks, receives. And you know what? He who does ask, does receive. It's true. I remember when I began, was just beginning ministry, you know, you get out of seminary, you have this degree, it's no guarantee that you're going to get a job, especially if you don't have any experience. And I did not have any experience. I got out of, I got out of seminary. There was this one church that I really wanted to become a pastor of. They, had, they were just in a point where they needed a pastor, and I wanted this uh, pastorate. In, it, was in, it was called a village church in New York, and I really wanted this pastorate. But you know what? It was something of a long shot because, as I said, I didn't have any experience. I had never worked in a church one day of my life. <laughs> and not only that, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church not like, well, you know, my dad was a pastor, so I understand. I had no idea about the job whatsoever. And there were other people who were being considered, and they were actually a better shot for me. But you know what? I really wanted this. I really thought this was the right thing to do. So I prayed, and I prayed. And I got people who were just as ignorant as I was to pray. <laughs> and they prayed, and we prayed. And I put out a prayer letter, and I gathered people around. We prayed and prayed. I only, I only took people who really were going to pray. I kind of filtered them out like well-wishers from the people who really were going to pray. And they prayed, and we prayed, and I prayed. And you know what happened? I got this job. I became a pastor there. Now, looking back on it, I have some perspective now. I think, was that the best thing to happen? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I look back at it and see what was required and what I knew at the time, what I didn't know. <clears throat> Would it have been better maybe if I had like, you know, five years as a youth pastor or something, you know, to actually understand what the job is? Would it have been better? Maybe it would have been. But you know, it's, it's, it still happened. And that is the way that God is a lot of times with our prayers. Like, you really want something, he answers. Even if, like, it might not be the wisest thing, if he is so focused, <laughs> he, Jesus said, pray for the kingdom to come. And here we see why. Here we see why prayer works. He is so focused 
on you when you pray and when you ask for things. You look at verse 5. The result is very definite. The same censer filled with fire. Should we maybe, maybe bring that around again? Keep it, keep it going? Just I want people to experience this. This is what God is. Let's bring it around again here if you didn't get it first time. I really want to thank Isaac, our altar boy, this morning <laughs> for being a good sport, bringing the censer around. But you know, that same censer, the one that he's carrying around, children, that's what it looks like. That's what you're drawing there. It's filled with fire, and, it, and, it, and then the answers are thrown down to the earth. And what do we see? This thunder and this lightning. Definite results on the surface of the earth, right? What's it teaching? Real life answers to prayers. When you pray for the kingdom, when you go before God, you make your case for the kingdom, real life answers come about to these prayers. You know, our altar girl there that's accompanying our altar boy, my wife, I remember when she was pregnant with our second child, we had, a, we had one child, it was a successful pregnancy, Second child didn't go like that. At 18 weeks, she started to get contractions. And I mean, these were real contractions, not Braxton Hicks. They were real contractions. And they started to do just what labor does in a, in a person, you know. It really started to happen with her. And we wanted to have a, our baby with a midwife, but it got so dangerous. We, we just had to go to the hospital. And so there we were, 18 weeks in the hospital, uh, and these contractions would not stop, and they were starting to produce, you know, the, the effects of labor. It's a very experienced uh, nursing unit there in the hospital, uh, St. Vincent's Hospital in Greenwich Village. And the nurse there said, I've, she's just seen, seen this many times. She's seen so many pregnancies, so many births. She said, I'm sorry, you're going to have this baby tonight. Again, 18 weeks. So this was very bad news because it meant we were going to lose the child. It can't, can't live at 18 weeks. Right. So it mattered. And so we prayed. And Mary Kay actually called for the elders of our church there at the time. And they came that evening to pray for her. And uh, she said to them when they showed up, she said, I hope you believe in the power of prayer because I need someone who, who believes in the power of prayer to pray for me. And there was this, I tell you their names. They're faithful elders of our church. One was named Dave Bisgrove. The other was named Dave Balsh. One was a young guy who eventually became a minister. And uh, the other guy was older. So when Mary Kay said that, the younger guy got... It's kind of uncomfortable. It's like, wait, what are we, uh, what are we doing here? You know, he got got kind of scared. The other guy was more experienced. He was like, yeah, God answers prayers, and they prayed for her. And as I said, they tried a lot of different things, the doctors, to make the contractions stop, but they kept on going. They kept on going. That night, the elders prayed. Contractions stopped. The contractions didn't stop, but the labor stopped. Right? It stopped producing the labor. Uh, it was really extraordinary and uh, ended up carrying the baby to term. Baby was born, a healthy baby boy, and he grew up. And today, 
he is writing law article reviews. <laughs> He's writing law articles about how to bring in Christian principles into prison reform in our legal code. I just want you to know that our prayer at the time when it was happening was, this is for your kingdom, Lord. I was, I was making my case before. I was like, this is what we want to do. We want to raise our child for the kingdom. We want to make, make a contribution to, the, to what's going on in the world. We want to make a contribution to the coming of your kingdom. And that was the case I was making. I don't know if, you know, I was, I was doing whatever I could to make my case before the Lord, arguing. And so today, we see it kind of being fulfilled. Verse 5 means that God is really going to answer these prayers. Like lightning, like thunder, real world answers to prayers when his saints pray have an enormous effect and an earthquake he says an earthquake you know earthquakes meant a lot to the people of central anatolia to whom this letter is addressed you remember this writing to real churches in central anatolia and i'll tell you earthquakes meant something to them because they often happened there and they would rock their world periodically. Different times in history, they would get these earthquakes, and it would just rock them. And it's kind of sad. If you go through that area, they, you, know, you trace the history of the art and the architecture there. It's a little sad because you have these beautiful, beautiful architecture, beautiful art they would build. And then an earthquake would come and crumble, and it would all break down. Then they would build it up again. You know? And then another earthquake would come. And so this kept happening. And uh, they, so that was scary for them because they didn't know, you know, if an earthquake was going to come um, and judge their works. And the reason that uh, takes place is because of what's happening tectonically there in that, in that area of the world. You have the, uh, really, the Arabian plate coming up and subducting under the Eurasian plate. And while it's doing that, it's driving apart two microplates, the Iranian plate and the Anatolian plate. And so it's a tectonic mess, really, what's going on there. Oh, and that's why you have, you have volcanism and then you have these different um, earthquakes happening because it, it, it's just tectonically what's going on there is, uh, is these plates subducting. So it keeps happening. And in fact, even to today, we have some Muslim friends in Istanbul that we were talking to a couple of years ago, it was two years ago now, and even up in Istanbul, they get affected. They were having earthquake tremors. And when it happens there in Turkey, it's scary because I don't know if they're always building to code for earthquakes. So, you know, buildings fall down and people are sleeping in the park and it's, uh, it's scary. And so we had these uh, Muslim friends in Istanbul and they were experiencing these earthquakes two years ago, and these tremors, and it was happening over a period of days. And they're wondering, like, is this going to be the big one? And you could see them trying to uh, address this as Muslims. And so they were saying, well, we want to calm down, and we want to accept this as the will of, Abba, of Allah. And uh, this is what Allah is going to do. We want to accept it. And we said to them, no. He said, you know what, let's, let's not do that. Let's pray instead. Because we believe as Christians when we pray, God stops heaven for half an hour. 
to listen. As we, I don't know what he would do, but let's ask him to do something. And so we prayed with them. We prayed that the earthquakes would stop. So in 2019, earthquakes would stop there in Istanbul. And they had been going for a few days. You know what happened? Earthquakes stopped. It's really moved our friends. Now, you say, come on, that, like, that is a big answer. <laughs> That's a big answer to prayer, right? And why would God give answer to prayer like that? And I can tell you the reason I think is because we were praying for something that mattered. Because according to the Joshua Project, the Turkish-speaking peoples are one of the top three Frontier people groups is what they call them. Frontier people groups, that is unreached people, people groups who have the largest population are really clueless, really clueless about the gospel. They just do not know it. And according to the Joshua Project, again, the Turkish-speaking people are one of the top three in terms of the size of population in the world, in the whole world. And for the last 800 years, Turkic people have been among the, the least receptive to the gospel least accessible to the good news of Jesus Christ. It's part of their uh, complete opposition to the West, all things Western, right? And, and so they, uh, this is a place where the gospel needs to break through. So it mattered. It mattered. So that things, for mat- that, things that matter, we learn, God moves the earth, or he... Stops moving the earth for things that matter. Now, you know, I've seen plenty of these, and I think you have too, because I know I'm talking to a praying people. I don't, sometimes God's answer is no. I don't want to make it seem like his answer is always yes. Sometimes God's answer to our prayers is no. But he always answers. He is always attentive to you when you petition him. For the things that really matter, really matter to him, really matter to you. He is always undistracted. He is always commanding silence in heaven to hear you. And that's what we need to, we need to really get our, get our heads around this morning. That's what I really want you. Ironworks, I know I'm, it's very pleasing to me to preach this message to you. Because I know this is a praying church. And you're a praying people. I know that this church was built on prayer. And so you know this, and you know that sometimes the answer is no, but there are certain prayers I can tell you that are almost guaranteed to get a yes. There are certain prayers that you can pray that uh, it's, it's almost certain that you will get what you're asked for. For example, um, I have prayed for wisdom in my life so often. And it's because when I became a Christian, I had no wisdom. <laughs> I was very unwise. And a lot of things I suddenly had to confront. I had no idea how to, how to deal with them. So I would pray for wisdom over and over and over again. I prayed for wisdom so often during my life. And I could tell you that prayer gets answered. Or another example is if you look in the context of what's being prayed for here. In the book of Revelation, what really is the prayers that are coming up are prayers for vindication. We learn that in Revelation chapter 6, where God's people are, because of what's happening to them, as they are trying to bear the name of Christ, 
And what's happening on there, like, they're praying for vindication for the things that are going on. Because it's so unjust that prayer gets answered. You want to see God angry? <laughs> Watch God when he receives a prayer for vindication from his saints. That's Psalm 18 that you had for your reflection. There. You want to see him anxious to answer, anxious to cast fire upon the earth. It's prayers for vindication of his people. And that's what's being prayed for here. And the answer that he actually is giving in Revelation, throughout Revelation, it seems, is be patient. I, am, I will vindicate you. But at this point, you need to be patient about it. So this is a message for us this morning. This is a message that I'm giving to you today. Ironworks Church, keep praying. Keep praying. And if you're here and you don't pray, you start. <laughs> start. Because he is so attentive to your prayers, to your petitions. Why is that? Why is he so, why does he command heaven to stop? Why is there a silence for half an hour? Why does he put down his cell phone? Well, you know, in Old Testament Israel, incense was offered only by the priests. And the, the sons of Aaron guarded this privilege uh, jealously. Like only the priests could offer incense. And the priests also, the other thing they did was offer sacrifices on, the, on another altar. In the book of Revelation, these altars seem to be blended. You have the altar, the golden altar of incense, and you also have the offer of burnt offering. And the book of Revelation, they seem to be they come together. John envisions them, and, and what he sees is them actually coming together and blended together. And the priests, when they offered their sacrifices, always did it in silence. It was always a silent time for them in offering sacrifices. So you see, the reason why God is so attentive when you pray is because of the sacrifice that was made on the other altar, the true sacrifice offered by your true great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of Christ's sacrifice, God is oriented toward your prayers. Because of Christ's sacrifice, all activity stops. Just like with King Oswald, and he ordered the feasting, the festivities to stop because of your true high priest. That's why God puts down his cell phone. That's why he gives you his undivided attention when you pray in order to hear you. What we're going to do now is turn to that other altar and acknowledge and embrace that sacrifice that is made that has opened up heaven to you, opened up God's accessibility to us, that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Please.